We're going to start in Joshua chapter 4. I believe today is a more of a prophetic message and more a declaring word. I feel like the Lord gave me specifically to come and tell you today. I'm going to declare some things over you today. I'm going to decrease some things over you today. And I believe God's going to do some things over you today. Amen? Because why come to church if you're just going to sit through a lecture? We're here because we know that the presence of God, one, transforms and the Word of God works. Amen? We'll jump in chapter Joshua chapter 4. It says this, And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them out with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. It says, Then Joshua Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark, the Lord your God, into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you shall take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. That is, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask, in times to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When they crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones shall be for the memorial of the children of Israel forever. Here we're picking up in the story of the children of Israel at really my very favorite place in the story. Up to this point, you know, some people's favorite story is back when the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt and the mighty hand of God come and touched the nation and caused all kind of chaos to happen to bring a king's heart to be able to let his people go. And they moved out of slavery as free men, as blessed men, into a wilderness to worship God, which is an awesome story. And I love to hear about all that. The, my favorite place in the story of the children of Israel we're picking up right here. And so I'm going to try to lay this out in just a few minutes today. But first thing I want to bring up is here in this story, the children of Israel had for 40 years lived, wandered, and existed in a wilderness place. A place they were never designed to live in, a place that was not easy to live in, and in a place that was extremely, they faced extremely tough circumstances. But everybody say, praise God. They didn't do it alone. The Bible says that the presence of God was with them all the way through those 40 years. And the Bible goes into detail saying this, that while they were in the wilderness, says that God's presence was so pronounced that it would be a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. To where the presence of God was not easily missed. It was easily to be seen. And what I love about the presence of God is this. This principle lays out, and we still see it here in this story where we pick up, after 40 years they had wandered and followed and pursued the presence of God. Every time you find someone that makes it a habit, a point, or the effort to follow or pursue the presence of God, you will see miracles 
activated into their life. Amen? Anytime I've ever found myself going after, pursuing, searching for, looking for the presence of God in my life, I can turn around now and see when I would, the hand of God would be causing miraculous things to happen. For 40 years, the children of Israel, because when the cloud moved, they moved. When the pillar moved, they moved. They made pursuing the presence of God and following the presence of God such a part of their life that they would get up every morning, and the Bible says there would be manna. Angel food is what they call it. Manna from heaven would be all over the ground. They didn't have to get up and go try to get a job to try to buy groceries or rely on food stamps. They pursued the presence of God and the hand of God put food in their life every day. The Bible says this, as Pastor Jerry said, that when the enemies and, and dangers would come to them, there was a time where snakes encamped the camp of the children of Israel. And because they had pursued and made following the presence of God such a priority and a way of life in their life, when the snakes came in and were biting and killing people, the presence of God, God gave Moses while he was in the presence God, the, the, the word to put the snake up on the pole. And if anyone did look at it, when they would look toward the presence of God, they would be healed. The Bible says that it was even beyond just survival mode for them. The Bible says they got to a place at one point where they were tired of eating angel food. I don't know how you could get tired of eating angel food. I can't imagine it tasting bad. But it said they desired meat. So they were they started complaining and saying, God, we don't got no meat. And God caused a huge quail herd to come flying in and they were able to get all the meat they could eat. See, any time you ever make pursuing the presence of God a priority in your life, you will see the supernatural and miracles taking place in it. It's a guarantee. That's something that needs to be established right off. Are you needing a miracle today? Then you make pursuit of the presence of God the number one priority in your life. Because you cannot pursue God. And God, the Bible says, not pursue you. And any time Jesus showed up anywhere, miracles took place. The Bible says if He showed up somewhere and they were sick, He healed them. The Bible says if He showed up somewhere and they were dead, He raised them. He showed up and if they were demon-possessed, He would set them free. That's why some of you husbands and wives need to get your mate in church so that they can get set free, pursue the presence of God. I told Jen, you better be in church this Sunday because she got some things she needs to be delivered from. Um, the, The presence of God is such an amazing thing. It's worth living for. It's worth getting out of the bed for every day. It opens the door to the miraculous in your life. And here the Bible says the children of Israel, they would get up and the presence of God would encamp. It was such a priority to them. The Bible says that when the children of Israel would encamp, and there were they, the, the Lord had divided them, the children of Israel, into twelve tribes. And the, there were millions of people in the children of Israel group. And so there were so many that they would put their tabernacle right in the middle and the cloud would come and hover over the tabernacle. And the Bible says, and you can look at it in the book of maps. That's the pictures in the back of your Bible. You can see that presence of God was so important to them. They would put their 12 tribes all facing the center of the camp because they built their houses facing toward the direction of the presence of God. The presence of God is the most important thing you can have in your life. The presence of God is the most valuable thing you can invest yourself in chasing after. 
You can chase after girls, and they'll just end you broken, hurt. You can chase after money, and there will never be enough. You can chase after position. But when you chase after the presence of God, the Bible says, all these things shall be added to you. And the blessings of God cause no man no sorrow. I'm telling you, I've chased a lot of things in my life, but nothing, nothing has filled, healed, solved, made, and fulfilled me in any way like the presence of God. And so the children of Israel here, we find them after picking up in the story 40 years after being in the wilderness and being dependent on the presence of God. They would not have survived the wilderness without the presence of God. They would not have thrived in the wilderness without the presence of God. They would not have kept their families together. They would not have been able to make it. I'm telling you, there I look back at my life, I would not have made it had it not been the hand of God protecting my life and taking care of my life. I'm so thankful that we don't serve a God from heaven to fall. We serve a God whose presence is here on earth and it can be experienced while we're here even now. But here in this story, we find the children of Israel, although we use the same name for the group of people, it was not the same group of people that left Egypt. The Bible says that when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and set them into the wilderness, the Bible says that, that what got them out of slavery, they carried with them into the wilderness. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says when the children of Israel were slaves, it says they would cry out to the Lord on behalf of what the Egyptians were doing to them. Let me just say it plainly. They were complaining to God about how bad things had gotten. And the Bible says God heard their cries. Very important principle you need to learn about this. You can complain your way out of things, but you will not be able to complain your way into anything. You know, you don't like your job right now? Keep complaining to your boss. You'll end up getting out of that job. You don't like your mate? Keep complaining to your mate. You'll get out of that marriage. You, you, but the thing about it is, complaining can get you out of something, but it can never get you into something. That's why when the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, the Bible says they were complaining about what God had done. You need to understand, God had just set them free. I mean, they were no longer slaves. Their life had gotten so bad in slavery that they were crying out and begging for God, and God did it. They got over into it because they didn't understand that where they are now is different than where they came from. They're not what they were there. They had to allow God to do something in them here. Then what happened was they began to cry out and complain about the wilderness, and they never got into the promised land. So that generation died. The Bible says this. There wasn't a single one except for two that walked out of the slavery into the wilderness and walked into the promised land that God had destined for them. Except for two, and it was the two that didn't complain. It was the two that saw God for who God is. I believe I have a prophetic message today, and I'm going to just try to lay it out as quick as I can today. 2020 has been a rough year. Amen? It's, It's been different. It's this year, as a pastor, I've walked through more tough times as a pastor this year than honestly I have in 
all the years of pastoring. I've had to be concerned more about finances this year. I'm just going to be, can we be transparent? All right, because the same way at your house, you were the same way. I was more concerned about finances at time this year. Spent a lot of time crying out to God and praying over our finances. Um, spent a lot of time concerned about our church members. Spent a lot of time praying about, you know, health of our church members and safety for our church members. Spent a lot of time praying over church members that were upset because they had to wear masks when they came to church or a lot of people. Being a pastor this year, my hat is all because I didn't do it all good. It's right. And I was like, man, I never did. But I, any pastor that is still pastoring after 2020, I take my hat off too. Because it's been a tough year to pastor in. Right? As a dad, it's been a hard year this year. You know, we got up in March, thought everything was good with my children. We went to a regular checkup. We walked in. The doctor looked at my daughter. We've been to doctors all year. I mean, for her whole life. She's three. For three years, we've been going to doctors on regular checkups, immunities, if they're sick. And no one had ever seen it. We walked in in March to a doctor's office, and the doctor looked at my daughter and said, man, there's something wrong. We're like, what? And they said, no, no, y'all need to go see a specialist. So they scheduled us the next week to go see a specialist. And then they instantly told us what's wrong with our daughter. She was born with a bone abnormality that was so rare. It's um, Her hips were wrong. And the thing about it is a child can be born with one. And the statistics are one in a thousand children are born that way. It's pretty big eyes. For a child to be born with both... There's no statistic to. Because they say it only happens once or twice every six years around the world. That was a tough day. <laughs> so thank you. So as a dad, over the last six months, we saw this baby go through about six procedures. And the last six months have been just hard. And I cry because of my daughter. I love her. She said, I was playing with her yesterday. And... To go through that, man, takes my... I, I was on the phone with Dad last night, and there was a family in Camden Church that had a dog. Um, some dogs attacked a three-year-old daughter. And uh, she got airlifted to Little Rock last night. They had to do emergency surgery. And about 11 o'clock last night, Dad calls me and say they just called and said they were able to get her back together because the dogs had tore her apart so bad. I tell you, it's been a hard year for dads and moms this year. I mean, you've been facing your kids going back into schools and you've been having to face your kids being isolated. A lot of you moms, oh my gosh, you've been a pandemic in homeschooling with three kids at your house. Then on top of that, you had a hurricane come through here and knock the power out. No Wi-Fi or cartoons. What do you do? I mean, it's been a hard year to be a parent. 2020's been tough. As a husband... Gotta be honest, when you put people under stress, true colors come out. And me and Jen have had some very, what you could call heated conversations this year because of what's going. It's been a hard year to be a husband, alright? It's been a hard year to, I gotta be honest with you, just go through 2020. I know I'm not alone. I'm, I, I know your situations are the same thing. Been a tough year this year. I told the early service, 2020 is the longest decade I have ever lived so far. And we're only a few months into this thing. Saying all that to say this, I have a prophetic word for you today. We're about to move into a new season. 
<laughs> and you can tell. Now we're, we're right on the cusp of the edge of something changing. But, and you can feel it, you can tell it. I mean, football came back this week. <laughs> wow, we have football back. Sports are going, life's trying to get back normal. Kind of feel that kids are back in school. Uh, things, but God doesn't want things to ever be the same again. And so today I want to prophesy and I want to declare, I want to speak to you something that I believe God is doing not only in this ministry, not only in my own personal life, but also in your personal life as well. And so here we find the children of Israel for 40 years they've lived in. Now, understanding that everyone that had seen God split the Red Sea now had died. The generation that walked across on dry ground saw the hand of God do this thing for them. Now they had all passed away. And so everyone that had come to the banks of the Jordan on this day, except for Joshua and Caleb, had never seen the hand of God move in a way that changes history. And I'm, I dare to say this. This generation of Christians and churches now have never seen the hand of God move on the behalf of Christians and churches and families like the generations before us have. That's why I can say I see it in churches all over, and see it in people, and even experience more. I see Christians using church and Christian and the relationship with God casually. You could not talk my dad, drag my dad, convince my dad, hurt my dad bad enough to ever backslide. Why? Because he's the generation before me that truly saw the hand of God. He saw a revival take place in the Jesus movement that transformed this world. I didn't see that. And so, here we find the children of Israel, 40 years into the wilderness, and they've known the hand of God on their life, but they've never seen the hand of God the way the generation before them has. That's why this story gets good to me. Because the same God that my parents served, and the same God that their parents knew, the same God that over the last thousands of years, the same God that Daniel saw close the mouth of the lion, the same God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got to walk around in fire, is still the same God, even though I may never have experienced the hand that way. Here the children of Israel for 40 years walked in the wilderness and they knew God was with them, they knew God was for them, and they knew God was taking care of them, but something was fixing to change. They knew God loved them, they knew they were God's chosen people, but what they did not know was that the hand that God that was for them those 40 years was fixing to become the hand of God that was on them and was going to use them to change the world. And this is where we are in history. For 40 years, people survive... And the Prince of God was a part of their life and they were thankful, but not too thankful. Because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the children of Israel, when the Prince of God would come and sit on the tabernacle, says that all the children of Israel would stand and stand at the door of the tent, watch the, the Prince of God come onto the tent. says they would see Moses walk into the tent. It says, and then when Moses would go into the tabernacle, they would all turn back into their tents and eat their meal. It got normal. Because man, they knew God was there to protect them. But here on this day, when we're picking up at this moment, we're finding that no longer was the hand of God just to protect them and lead them. The hand of God was fixing to come upon them and use them. Their entire life up to this point, they had been wilderness dwellers. They, do, they knew they were living in a place they did not belong, but 
they knew God was their God and would take care of them. Now they were about to step into a place where it wasn't going to be just God taking care of them anymore. God's hand was upon them and they weren't going to be wilderness dwellers. They were stepping in. When they stepped across that river, they went from being wilderness dwellers to being the army of Israel, mightily used by the hand of God. I'm wanting you to understand that this was a moment in time that changed everything. And me and you right now are living in a moment in time. 2020 has been a rough year. But the truth of the matter is this. It's only the third quarter. I don't know about you. Football just came back. I'm pumped. But I, 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 we usually do Super Bowl parties every year. And I've been to Super Bowl games. And, you know, I, I kind of dread or hate the ones that's going to be a blowout from the beginning. Like when you go to the Super Bowl game and... You know, you, it's like uh, the, first, the team starts and in the first quarter, they whoop them. Second quarter, they whoop them. And by halftime, you're already disengaged because it's not even worth watching. Well, you already know who's going to win, so you stay for the commercials and then you bail to get home early. That's the way some years have been. We knew God was doing everything. This year, I believe this. We're in the last quarter of this year. And i got to be honest with you, it feels like we have been in the fight of our life for the last three quarters of this year. There are three months left. I believe this. The things are about to turn. In this story, the Bible says the children of Israel walked across the Jordan River. It says when they came across the Jordan River, they came to a town called Gilgal. Gilgal means turning a wheel, moving forward. It's what it comes out of the word he wrote. It was a point of turn. In prophetic timeline, in the point of the church, we are moving into a moment of change, a moment of turnaround. In your life, today will begin a moment of change and a moment of turnaround. I'm here to, to declare and to decree, to prophesy over you. Today, something's going to happen. We get to decide what it is that's going to happen. Here the Bible goes into discrete detail about what took place. The Bible says they came up on the Jordan River. Now, when they came up to the Jordan River at this moment, the Jordan River was in flood stages. When you do your Bible research, it had swollen out of its banks and it was bigger and wider and had more water moving through it at this time of the year than at any other time of the year. They were facing something that seemed extremely hard or even difficult for them to do at that moment on their own without the presence of God. If God had not have intervened at that moment, they would not have made it through what they were about to go through. They would have been stuck right where they are. I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to be stuck with the way things are in the rest of 2020. 2020, I'm not going to just get up every day and try to survive. I'm going to thrive in this last quarter. We're going to win this thing. This is going to be the greatest year we have ever known as a church, as a family, as a father, as a pastor, because I'm going to understand that this is the moment God's fixing to do something. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, so this is what they did. They got up and instead of them trying to do it on their own, they put such a dependence on the presence of God that they put the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the priest and sent them first. And the Bible says as soon as the priest's feet touched the water, the river dried up and they walked across on dry ground. Now you've got to understand what that took. That took a mighty, mighty move for the waters of the Jordan in a floodbank state to be pushed back by the hand of God for them to walk across it could not be done naturally. Only could be done supernaturally. Now, in flood stages, theologians believe that when the hand of God would have pushed that river back in its flood stage, the move would have been so big that the water would have backed up 70 to 80 miles. It affected everything in that country. I'm here to tell you, 
What God's about to do is going to affect everything in your life, in my life, in our church, in our city, and I believe in this country. We're about to see God do a move that we have never seen before. See, their parents had seen God do that before when they come across the Red Sea. But it was so important that they see God do it. It wasn't coincidence that God separated two immovable bodies of water before He made a mighty move happen again because God needed the generation that was there then and now to see before they stepped into what God had called them to be that the hand of God that moved for mom and dad, grandma and grandpa was still the hand of God that would move for them. And it didn't matter how how big the odds or how powerful the miracle had to be, the hand of God was going to push that water back. I'm here to tell you, I don't know what flood the enemy's sending against you, but the Bible says the enemy's coming in. And it says, and when the enemy comes in, I, I love this. It says, it says, when the enemy comes in, we at that point usually say this, like a flood. We give the devil so much credit, thinking that he can come in like a flood. I've moved the comma in that scripture in my life. I'm reading it like this now. When the enemy comes in, like a flood, God will raise the standard. Like a flood, what the enemy's trying to do in my life, God's going to take his hand, and he's the one that's going to push the Jordan back 70 to 80 miles in my nation and in my country and in my church. It's the hand of God that we're going to see. Now, it was more than just God doing something for these people. These people had to understand at that moment that things were changing completely. What was... What was acceptable before, living, mindset, community, could no longer be acceptable anymore. Where they were moving to now, they were known as the chosen people of God. But chosen people of God were not going to be able to do what God was about to do. They were stepping out of wilderness, stepping into destiny. For destiny to take place, they had to take on new identity. They could not be the Hebrew children anymore. They had to become the Israelite army at that point on. There was a transformation that happened on the inside of them. And that's what's going to happen now. I prophetically speak, and I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, things are changing. This is a moment in time that you need to expect God to start turning things around in your life. You need to expect God to start fixing things that you can't fix in your life. You need to expect God to begin to, the mighty hand of God to begin to move, not just for you, but through you and on you. He's about to use you in ways you can't even imagine. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, though, that when they got ready to do this, the Bible says that Joshua told the people that when the priests in the water separates, that 12 men were to walk across the river and to pick up 12 stones while they were going across, put it on their shoulders, carry it to the other side, and build a memorial. At the same time, the Bible says Joshua went across the river and picked up stones and came back and built a memorial right in the middle of the river. He built two memorials. Now, I want to talk just a minute about why... And how God did that. Now, they were in a moment of transformation. They were going from slaves' kids to mighty army. They were going from wilderness dwellers to destiny takers. And everything in history was about to transform. And they knew what was on the other side. Because the Bible said they sent spies over. They knew all the Izzites that were there. All the 
the Sages or the Hittites and the, all those tight, tight names that are in there, they knew there was an enemy. There were seven kings they had to conquer on the other side of that river. But that was not the greatest enemy that they would be facing the minute they walked across the river. We can tell what the greatest enemy that they were to face when they walked across the river by what God told them to do first before they do anything else. The greatest enemy that the enemy tries to use to stop you and me and the church from going forward into destiny is not what the enemy will bring against us. It will be whether or not we forget who got us as far as we got. You would think, before they took over this nation, that they would step into the promised land and they would sit down and have a battle plan. They would sit, make strategies. They would, they would set up borders and protections and they would build an army ready to go. But that's not what God told them to do first. The first thing God told them to do before you do anything else, the most important thing you can do, Joshua, the most important thing you can do, children of Israel, the most important thing you can do, army of God, is you to build a memorial. You're to make sure that you don't forget who God is. What a memorial is, the word comes from memory. If you look it up, it comes from the word to mark, to mention. It means to make a place. He said when you get across here, you make this place right here the place that becomes a memorial. A place that you can come to and when people ask you, when your children ask you, how in the world did y'all get there? You say, by the hand of God that dried up the river. Because the greatest enemy that the devil will use against you and me is for me and you to move to a place into what God is calling us, doing for us, beginning to release us, move us forward in life, and we forget who God is. Because when you forget who God is, you begin to move away from who got you as far as you are. A lot of times the enemy wants you to look at your circumstances and see 2020, how bad they are. See what's going on around you and see everything that's taking place. And you get your eyes so focused on your circumstance and so focused on how bad and miserable things are around you that you forget all the other 46 years you've been alive on this planet that has got you this far. The reason why you've made it to 2020 is because the hand of God was on you every one of the years before. And I am not going to let the circumstances in 2020 cause me to get my eyes off of who got me to 2020. I may not be where I'm going to be, but I'm sure not what I was before God's hand got a hurt to my life. So if you want to focus on what you're going through and not focus on remembering what God brought you from, I tell you, a lot of times we, we go from tragedy to tragedy because God's getting you to a place to realize the greatest weapon you will ever have against the enemy and the forces of darkness is for you to remember who your God is. So, why is God letting all these bad things happen? Because you keep forgetting who's on your side. You keep forgetting what He's already gotten you through. There's a story. In, this ain't in your notes. Now, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, the Bible says this, In the year of Zechariah, there was a king, 16 years old, Uzziah. And it says they made him king when he was 16 years old. And when they made him king, the Bible said this. The Bible says, He did everything he could do to please the Lord. 
And when he did, it's amazing when you read this story. Because it says, it says that God gave him, started putting witty inventions in his mind. Started giving him plans to be able to build walls and make weapons for war. And God gave him all of these visions. As a matter of fact, in the King James Bible, it's the only place that says something existed that didn't exist anywhere else in the Bible. It says, and God gave him ideas to build engines. That's amazing. That's a big word. There's nowhere else in the Bible. Built engines in a time when engines didn't exist. God's hand was on this man, causing him to succeed. And this is what the Bible says. When you get down to verse 16, it starts talking about how strong and mighty God had made him. But then it said this. It says, and when he was strong. It says he began to forget who God was. And as he began to forget who God was, the rest of the chapter and the one after it begins to tell the destruction that took place in his life. Why would God build a king up and bless him in a way for the next chapter for his life to be destroyed and lost? God didn't. There's a danger when it comes to forgetting God. The most important thing you can do in your life, no matter what season you're in, no matter what situation you're going through, is have the weapon of remembrance. In your life. 164 times in the Bible it says, God told people to remember. You say, what are you talking about, Cricket? I'm talking about this. It's real easy when things are bad for us to cry out to God. And in 2020, <laughs> you know, there's been times we, we probably have really cried out to God. We weren't going to make it if you don't come through. And then God comes through. And then it's real easy for the enemy to use the weapon of life or you just moving on past it. To forget who it was that got you through it. And you find yourself in another place. Not remembering the Lord. But also, that's the negative side. The positive side of the, what God told these children to do is this. The greatest weapon, Joshua, you guys will have. Will be that you remember the Lord. When you get across this river. You pick up 12 stones. And you build a memorial. Because as long as you remember the Lord, there's not a single army, there's not a single weapon, there's not a single attack that can defeat you. Because if God is on your side, God can't let anything stop you. The greatest weapon I can have in anything I go through, the greatest assurance I can use to face whatever giant, whatever attack, whatever season I'm going through, is to remember that my God is for me and not against me. And I maybe, maybe you're here today and you say, Greg, you don't know what I'm facing. I can tell you this. The only reason you're facing it is because your God at some point in your past has been faithful then. And you need to know this. If He's ever been faithful then, He doesn't change. He'll be faithful now. If God has ever done something, He can do it again. If God's ever said something, it still remains. Your God cannot change. And so when you remember who your God is, the enemy can't do anything to keep you from winning. And it's just the truth. We live in a day that we as a church, have learned to go from crisis to crisis, cry out to God just like children of Israel, but then as soon as it's over, we get back to living our life. And it's really easy to forget the Lord. The Bible says in Luke chapter 17 that there was a group of ten men. And that group of men were all suffering from a disease that was there was no cure. They were outcast from sight. They were all leprous. And leprosy is a bad disease. I mean, it's, it causes leprosy. It rots flesh and their noses would fall off or their ears would fall off. And, you know, when you had it, it was so contagious, you couldn't live in normal society. You couldn't be around certain people. And the Bible says that there were ten of these people that were all together and they were all suffering through the same thing. And the Bible says Jesus showed up. Amen. Praise God that the presence of God still shows up in our lives. And the Bible says that Jesus showed up. 
And when Jesus showed up, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And it says they went and did as Jesus said. And it says they were healed as they went. And the Bible says that God did this amazing miracle for them. But then nine of them went home. But the Bible says this. There was one that went back to Jesus. And Jesus was shocked. It, it, it trips me out because it even caught Jesus off guard. I was like, oh, what are you doing? Wasn't there, and he says, wasn't there nine of you? But the Bible says he came back because he remembered Jesus. He remembered who healed his brokenness. He remembered what changed his life. He remembered. And so while he spent the next energy or the next effort of his life doing was getting back to a place to be in the presence of God. And this is what happened. The Bible says Jesus looked at him and said, you were made whole. That word whole comes out of a Greek word and it's a picture without any cracks or any part missing. It draws the picture there that the nine that went home without noses didn't have the disease anymore. Without fingers. They were going to go on and get through life with one or two. Without toes. But the one that remembered Jesus, his nose grew back. His fingers came back on. I'm here to tell you, if God got you through something, God's got more for you. But He can only do it if you can remember Him in the good and in the bad. I, 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 you say, this ain't deep, man. I want, I want to make it though, okay? The greatest thing you can ever do is remember God. The greatest life to ever live is the one that remembers God. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, David, in Psalm 63, it says, David said this, I will remember you in the dark times. You know, this was a man that knew what he was talking about because this man knew what it was like to be a kid that his dad didn't want or rejected him completely and put him out in the field and didn't care if wild animals killed him because he had to stand up against a lion one day, but God delivered him, he said. And then he was there again and he remembered when a bear came out of the woods that God had delivered him from a lion, but because God delivered him from a lion, he remembered God did that, so God delivered him from a bear. And the Bible says there was a day he was on a battlefield with the opportunity for everything in his life to change. And he didn't just take the opportunity. It says he remembered who God was. And when he stepped in front of the king, he said, what makes you think you can do this? He said, because I remember when God delivered me from a bear, and I remember when God delivered me from a lion, and I remember that if he can do that, he's still with me and for me. He can deliver me from this giant. And God gave him the hand of the giant, made him the rightful heir to be the king. And then when he was in the king's presence, he got ran into the wilderness because the king was jealous and wanted to kill him. He remembered that God was the one that even put the anointing on him. And then when God put him on the throne, he remembered that it had not been the hand of God, he would have never been able to sit on the throne. And when his son rose up and tried to kill him and take his throne, he remembered that God had got him through all of those things in the past. God's not going to fail me now. And God was able to exalt him and lift him back up on the throne. And then he remembered one day when he blew it real bad, screwed up more than any king had done yet. The Bible says God, he remembered the faithfulness of God. And he cried out to God. He remembered God all the way through to the point. That what made his life a success was not any achievement he ever did. It was the ability to remember that God was with him in the dark season. And then it said this. He said that under the shadow of your wing, I will rejoice. Remembering who God is 
in every season of your life gives you the power to be able to live a life that is full of joy. Bible rejoices the word re-enjoy. Some of us need to figure out and remember how to get joy back in our life again. The way you get joy back in your life again is you remember God is in your life. God is involved in your circumstance. God is moving on your behalf. And you making God a part of your life to the point where it can't be removed. I mean, we just don't get so busy we move on. You may, He said, I want you to build this art. You said, well, how do I do that? Well, it's real neat how He told him to do it. He told him to get a leader of each tribe of Israel to pick up one stone. Why didn't they just hire the biggest guys to just go do it and build it for them? Because in the number 12 here was very important. There were 12 tribes. And out of 12 tribes, he wanted each tribe to pick up one stone and put it there. Because in the Bible, numbers mean something. And in the Bible, numbers, seven means the complete work. Eight means new beginnings. Twelve means the number of government. That's why there's 12 disciples, 12 gates, 12 elders, 12 tribes of Israel. All leadership ideas. The number 12 is the idea and the understanding of government. You can tell who allows God to be remembered in their life for those who allow God to govern their life. You know, when I was growing up, me and Jeremy had a moped. And my parents bought it for us. We were in our preteens. We loved it. We'd get on it, man. and I would hit the gas as hard as I could. And with me, there's two speeds. I'm either asleep or I'm wide open. That's the only two I know. And when I pushed the gas the first time on that thing, it did not go as fast as I thought it should go. It bothered me. So I got to studying the deal and found out that there's a little screw on the throttle that was holding it back from being able to take it as fast as I wanted it to go. I did not know what the name of the screw was at that time. I just knew this thing is holding me back. And so we took the screw out. Two days later, me and Jeremy were flying around that yard without a governor on it and going as fast as we could. Jeremy lost control. We slammed into the side of the house. He knocked out the front of his teeth, broke the moped in half. I had black eyes and took weeks to get over. There was a reason there was a governor on that moped. Still to this day, I, you know, I, I rent and get big trucks. And it makes me mad because I rent these nice-looking U-Haul trucks. And when you go to take off, you can feel the power, man. And I'm saying, so you, you push it. You can feel it. But you hold that gas pedal down, and it will only get to about 75, and then it won't go over. But, man, you can feel You know that thing. Because they, they build these things with governors in them. And... I did not, in my young years, understand the power of those governors. Thought, man, if a truck can do 110, it should do 110. But then I realized this. The more stuff I put in the back of the truck, the more dangerous that truck becomes. And that truck, although it may can do 110, it is not safe doing 110 if it's full of stuff and equipment. And that's what I've learned in my life. That the more I have to lose, the more dangerous it is for me to live the way I want to. And if I can remember God, which means here in this order, allow God to govern my life, then what God can do with my life is use it and bring me to a place that I could never go on my own. I, I watch people that say, you know, yeah, I know who God is. But they don't remember God because they don't allow God to govern their life. You'll meet people that can't just talk any way they want to. Or you'll meet people that just won't watch everything everybody else will watch. And you ask them why. I say, you know, I, I just can't. You know, God, I know it doesn't please the Lord. And what they're saying is, I have a governor on my life. That God is 
got in place to protect me and bring me into a destiny that I don't deserve to live or I could never accomplish on my own. But as long as I allow God to govern my life, His hand will be at work in my life and He can cause things to happen like push seas or oceans back and cause giants to fall at our feet that I could never do on my own because I remember who the Lord is. Do you remember God? Do you remember what He's brought you from? Do you remember it's Him that has got us to the end of 2020 anyway? Let me tell you a secret. If you can remember where you came from, you need to remember this too. God's not done taking you where you're going. But the greatest weapon you can have is who got you here. The Bible says that the children of Israel, when they came through there, they built two altars. That's weird. That's weird because they built one in the middle of the river and they built one on the edge of the bank. Why? Why did they build two? Don't make any sense. Because this. They wanted to go there. They wanted to remember what God had brought them through. I don't know what you're going through here today, but I know this. If you remember God, He will get you through this thing. Maybe a divorce, maybe loss, it may be a broken heart, it may be, you know, a season of depression, it may be fear. But if you remember who's on your side, he's never failed you in the past. You've gotten to places at times in the middle of storms that you may have thought you were going to go under, but He didn't let you do it. He was right there with you all along. And if you can remember who He is, He will get you through what you're going through. But so they built one in the middle because they wanted to remember what God got them through. I've been through a lot in my life. I wouldn't have made it through without Him. But if I allow myself to take any of that credit, I'll find myself going through it again. But then they built one on the other side. I believe they built it there to remember what God got them out of. For years they'd been a slave in Egypt. And for years they seemed lost and wandering around, not knowing which way to go, dependent on God. And so they said, you know what? Let's build this one so that we can remember... God just didn't get us through those years. God didn't just get us through that trial with, with the baby or didn't get us through those situations in the relationship. But God got us out of the addiction that was holding us back in the first place. God got us out of that situation, out of the hospital, or out, of, out of you know the alcohol, or got us out of the depression, or got us out of the sin that was so easily beset us. God got us not just through this, But God has the ability to get you out of it. And you never have to go back. When they built, for them to go back to the wilderness, they would have had to walk past that memorial that said, this is what God got you out of. Why would you ever cross this way again? I'm here to tell you, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. When the enemy comes and tells you, you didn't get delivered, you're not free, you're still addicted, you steal what you use, you need to tell him, no, 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 no. There's a place called Gagal that says that I am moving on. That was a turning point in my life. I don't know about you, but do you have a place in your life you can come mention that's a memorial? Is there a day you can say that, man, my life was falling apart, but then God, and I remember it, so when the devil comes back and tells me, there's no difference, 
sometimes say, oh yeah, devil, you don't remember? You don't remember what I used to be? You don't remember how God changed me? You don't remember what God forgave me for? You don't remember, devil? You have to understand the greatest tool the church, the Christian, your destiny has is to remember who God is. Now, the greatest attack the enemy will try to use against you is to forget. This week, my girls uh, at their school, it was a week of remembering. You can come on up, Miss Leah. It was a week of remembering. 9-11. How many guys have seen this week was 9-11 and all over everything? Facebook, everything. says we won't forget. My girls were taught 9-11 this week at school. And what's funny is, although we say I'll never forget, I didn't remember on purpose that my girls weren't there when it happened. And so they come home Monday just... I mean, tell you, it was a conversation where their eyes were this big around. Dad, did you know about 9-11? I was like, yeah, baby. We were there. She goes, Dad, you never told us about that. And for homework, as one of their assignments this week, they had to write an essay about where their parents were on 9-11. I can tell you exactly where I was. I was working for Carpenter's Home Church in Lakeland, Florida at that time. And the day it happened, the moment that it happened, I was in front of about 400 students teaching a chapel class um, about God. And my boss walked in the back, coming down the front aisle. I thought, oh Lord, he's never come in my class. I'm about to be in trouble. I remember thinking I was trying to preach, keep the train of thought. And my boss, senior pastor of a church of 11,000, comes in and sits on the back row. So I'm like sweating bullets up there now. And I, I go on and try to close out, look real spiritual, give a good altar call. And when I close, he gets up, comes down, and he makes the announcement of what just took place. And we went and watched the rest of it on TV. And they locked the whole place down because I was only a few miles from where President George Bush was reading to the school that day. I remember the feelings, I remember the emotions, I remember the fears, I remember all that. Alright? Jennifer told the girls the story where she was that day. It's amazing how you can remember and how natural it is to remember the attacks of the enemy that he tries to lay out against you. You can remember what your husband said yesterday when he was having a rough day. You can remember how your your boss treated you. How unfair and wrong it was. You can remember how your brother or your sister should have never talked about you or judged you in that manner. You can remember what mom or dad did when you were growing up and how unfair and unjust it was. So Tuesday I went to pick up my girls and I was driving when I'm to gymnastic and they Haley was talking about Dad, there was this dog that they took in and he would he was awarded because he found all these survivors and every day this week they would teach him the reliving of 9-11. And then I realized my kids don't know this because I never made sure to make it such an important part of my life that I taught them it as well too. But then I realized this. What they're teaching them is what the enemy did to us. But that's not the whole story. 
So I went and I began to Google. I said, I'm not going to let my girls only know one side of the story. And so I got them after school and they had some girls. They were telling me all about 9-11, the rescue dogs and all the, all the other people and people jumping out of windows and how tragic and how horrible. I said, girls, let me tell you about a story. So there was a lady in one of the top of the buildings and she was five months pregnant the day of 9-11 and when the plane hit the, hit the building, they all told them to stay in their office but she said she just kept hearing this voice saying, you got to get out, you got to get out, you got to get out. So she got up against her co-workers and tried to start working her way down the stairwells and they were full of smoke. The power had already gone out and she'd gotten lost and disoriented going down the stairwells. And a fireman came up to her and found her. And she was five months pregnant. She could not walk down all those stripes of stairs. So he picked her up and he carried her all the way down to the bottom. He got her out of the first tower, loaded her into an ambulance, and they sped off away with her. And the fireman went back into the building. Just a few minutes later, the buildings fell and he never got out. Now, she was telling her story, how grateful she was for this fireman that had saved her life and gave her baby a chance to go forward. About three years later, in a small town in Connecticut, there was a young family in their house. They got a knock on the door. The young man got up and went and opened the door. When he opened the door, there was a young couple with a three-year-old child there. They said, we've been looking for you for three years. You've been hard to find. And went through the story how they, how they had to you know, get names and research and try to find where they'd moved because they had been all over. She said, I had to find you because I had to tell you. Thank you. We wouldn't be here if your daddy had to carry me down all those stairs and got me out and got me to be safe. So I said, girls, I said, we can remember what the enemy did. But I also want you to remember what people did. But she said to the young man, he was at that point the article said that he was used to being thanked because now for three years, every time there was a gathering or every time there was something, you know, they pull all the family members together and they would honor the families and, you know, support the families and like they should be. So he just kind of nodded and, you know, was used to getting appreciated for who his dad was. She said, but I got to tell you something else. This is why I had to find you. She said, because when your dad found me, she said, I told him that God told me he was going to send somebody. God told me to get up and get into the stairwell. And God brought me to you. And she said, and as we walked down those stairwells, I got to tell your dad about God. And before we got to the bottom, he accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he gave his heart to the Lord before he went back into that building and the building fell and he was destroyed and killed. And she said, when he told the son just crumbled to the ground because when his dad died, his life just got turned upside down and lost and he didn't know how to handle it and know what to do. But see, she didn't remember just that somebody helped her. 
She remembered that the hand of God was on her that day and told her to get up and get out of that office. Get into that stairwell that God was going to have somebody there. And when she found, he found her, she did not forget that it was God that got her to that moment. So she told that man that saved her about God. And he gave his heart to God. Then she went and found his son because she had to tell him. She remembered that God saved his life. And that little young man gave his heart to the Lord and his whole family was saved. And I said, girls, it's one thing to remember what the devil's done or what the enemy has done in your life. But see, and it's another thing to remember what people do. But what you need to remember is that God is involved in it all. And although people may have died that day, there were souls in heaven today because God's hand was on and with people even in the worst moment in history. I'm here to tell you this. The greatest weapon you will ever have in your destiny will be remembering who is on your side. Who is on you. Who is for you. Who is not against you. Who is walking with you. Who is talking with you. And if you're in a dark season, you will remember who the Lord is. Because David said, He is my help. I'm guilty of so many times in my life getting so busy and getting things going on that I truly, I forget that God is wanting me to build a life that does nothing but point people to Him. I don't know where you're at today, but do you remember back at any point in your life, whether when you were a child or whether you were an adult and a part-time, and you cried out to God, I need your help. And you felt the presence of God come on you. Do you remember that? Do you remember as a teenager at any point being in a church service, maybe because your parents made you go, but you heard God call your name and you knew that He loved you and there's a plan for you? Was there a place somewhere in your history that you can look back and you can realize that you could not have gotten through what you were going through. It was too heavy. It was too hard. Had it not been for the hand of God on you. Can you see anywhere He's been? Let me ask you this. Do you remember Him today? See, the children of for 40 years walked with Him. And they talked with Him. And they led Him. But they came to a place where they were moving into a new season. They were going from life to destiny. They were coming to a place where God was fixing to use them in a way they'd never been used before. They were fixing to take... That's why I can tell you, this is a prophetic moment in our church. That's why last week we made the decision. No more hunkering down. I don't care if we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're going to go out. We're going to position ourselves on the other side of the river where we can tell people and show people about our living God. Because I remember... When we were hunkering down, we wouldn't have made it through it without His hand. I'm going to take His hand everywhere I go and let Him use me. Do you remember? Do you have a place? Do you have a Gilgal? Because if you don't, I'm telling you right now, this is your place. This is your moment. This is what you were born for. Right now, God wants you to build an altar. Build a memorial. So that for the rest of your life, no matter how far you go, no matter what giants you fight, no matter what kingdom you conquer, you'll look back and you'll remember 
that God did something mighty on our behalf. God saved me. God healed me. God loves me. God has a plan for me. I don't have to worry about anything the enemy's going to do. My life changes today. I want to give you this. If you don't have a Gilgal, if you don't have a place, can this be your place today? Can this be a place from the rest of your life you remember? This is the day I gave my heart to the Lord. This is the day I got things right. This is the day God started working on my behalf. God's hand went from behind the scenes to right out in front and began to change who I am from the inside out. Can this be your place? Joshua and them had to build it after even after 40 years of knowing Him. For you to go forward from this place, you're going to have to build a point and remember who God is. If you're here today and you've never had a place, you want to get things right with the Lord and you want this to be your place, you want to be able to say, I remember at that church, I prayed that prayer at that moment and everything changed. If this move, would you just simply be bold? Raise your hand. Your life's about to change. If this needs to be your place, so raise your hand. Nobody pointing, nobody doing. All right, I'm going to pray with you. This is your moment. From this day on, this day on, your life can never be the same. This is your moment. Your life can never be the same, Shelly. You may have been lost before, but now you're an army going forward. If you didn't raise your hand, can I pray with everybody anyway real quickly? I just want to say, Dear Heavenly Father, I want you to pray with me. Everybody. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me enough to be with, for being with, thank you for loving me enough by being with me all the years till now. But Lord, today I want to build a point at this moment that I will never be able to walk away from or forget. And you will move from just being above the crowd to being in the crowd today. I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart. I ask you, Lord, to make me a memorial that shows people about you. And I thank you for becoming Lord and Savior of my life. I thank you that today I can never be the same. I'm yours. Amen and amen. Now look at me. Memorials are made by actions. You saw it on 9-11 this week, how they were going to talking about canceling it. But they said, oh, no, 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 no. We will never forget. You're not canceling this thing. And people participated even in the face of danger. Did you see that? I was so proud of them. On this end, I'm going to give you a chance to participate in a memorial. If you can remember everything that God has done for you, if you can remember who God is to you right now, then you need to know who's going to go forward with you from this point on. Let's make a memorial. The Bible says when we lift up a worship, it builds memorials before the Lord. Leah is going to lead us in one last song. If you're making the decision today, and I prophesy over you, you're moving into a turnaround. I declare over you, your circumstances and situations from this moment on are changing. I declare that 2020 has a supernatural shift, even in the natural world right now. Katrina, you've been having a run from COVID for the last several months. It can't come near you anymore. I prophesy, even on your job, it can't come near you and those you care for. It's a change. Tomorrow they're cutting the cast off my little girl. First time she's going to be done in the last six months. And let me tell you this. 
It's a turnaround moment. Not just in this church tonight. We're going to go into a place we've never had church before. Today, we're here together with people we've not been in church with before this year. I'm here to tell you, this is a turning moment. So when you walk out of here, you determine, God, you have changed. This is a Gilgal moment. Things change, things turn. I am transformed into not what I've always been, but into destiny from this day forward on 2020. I release over you right now the greatest year of your life during the rest of 2020. In the name of Jesus. So lift up a memorial. One song you're dismissed. God bless you.